0: On today's episode, we have a conversation with two very special guests.
1: Justin's parents, Ken and Rebecca. Some things we'll talk about will be...
0: The idea of your partner being your best friend.
1: Ken and Rebecca's experience of getting married after only six months of knowing each other and moving to Sudan a week later.
0: And letting go of the instinct to oversee your partner's behavior. Welcome to If I may be so Bold a podcast about relationships.
1: The ones we have with others, the one we have with ourselves.
0: And given that Dan and I are a couple, you're going to be hearing about our relationship too.
1: I'm Dan Epstein, a recording artist, former opera singer and relational coach.
0: I'm Justin Waring Crane, a therapist, recovering perfectionist and karaoke star when I, look around, I see the Questioning, where did I go wrong? Is it too late to
1: start? And be and be okay, so before we get to the interview itself, I just want to circle back to this idea of marrying your best friend because it's something we talked about in our first episode and we've had people commenting and um some emails about it and i think the reason why we bristled at that idea um i mean it had been something justin and i had talked about before um that we shared this sort of feeling which is that Through culture and movies, we're given this idea that you find this person who's the one and then you go off into the sunset with that person. You don't really need your friends anymore. You should rely on your partner for all your emotional intimacy and needs. Um, And a feeling that it kind of de-emphasizes the importance of having your own life apart from your partner and your own support system and people you can lean on. But we're interested in hearing other people's perspectives on this, whether you share that sort of judgment um, or if maybe you're introverted and you're, you're, you tend to spend more time alone or just with your partner and you, your social life isn't as much a part of your, your support system. Um, I would definitely love to hear from you, so please do write in. Our email is podcast at gmail.com. And you can find us on Instagram at I-I-M-B-S-B. Okay, so we're going to go to the interview, but we want to introduce Ken and Rebecca, um, give you a sense of who they are.
0: So my dad, Ken, a conflict-avoidant Libra and sociologist, recently published a book called Iraqi Refugees Living in the United States. So run to purchase that at your independent bookstore. And my mom, Rebecca, is a working artist and writer. In her recent art piece, Who is My Neighbor?, she interviews people living on her block to cope with disconnection and alienation during the pandemic. We will link to my dad's book and my mom's website in the show notes.
1: had yeah we got an email from a listener um who was who that stuck with her that we said oh we don't like when people say i married my best friend or they sort of you know that uh they display that like oh my god i'm so lucky i'm marrying my best friend um so this person said um her name's jessica i was hoping you could touch more on the topic of your partner being or not being your best friend See, I never had a best friend, and never knew what it means to have one. though I have a close a group of close friends, I can count on. I don't think I've ever been called one I, I I don't think I've ever called one singular person my best friend. When you two spoke about that during your first episode, I believe it was, it got me thinking, what does a best friend mean to me? and i th- and I think of my partner. So what does a best friend mean to me, and I think of my partner? It feels weird calling him my best friend because I don't think he is, but I do think of him as my partner, my person I call whenever anything big or small happens, my comfort, etc. So that is definitely a thing in our generation of, of like, wow, I'm marrying my best friend. Like, can you believe how how lucky I am? And then some people take issue with that or or see that as like, um, well, you. That sounds like maybe in, the, in line with like my partner should be everything to me um, as opposed to having different types of friendships and relationships. But we're wondering if that we're wondering if it's generational in part. And if that when you guys when you were younger and you were getting married or people your generation were getting married, was that something um, then too or was it sort of a different uh, was something else like sort of that type of aspirational thing? Yeah, can
0: you understand? Does it? the question make sense?
1: Yeah, does the question
2: yeah. make sense? Yes, okay. yes. Okay. I, I mean, it makes uh, as much sense as it needs to for <laughs> to get us started.
0: <laughs> Perfect.
2: <laughs> that was a good question. Uh, so, when I when when you and your well. When Rebecca and I got married, we'd only known each other for, what, about six months? Right. So I, I, I doubt if I called Rebecca my best friend. And I guess I could describe her at that point as a new and exciting and romantic and a friend or
1: <laughs> <laughs> something, <laughs>
2: uh, girlfriend, uh, you know, because we, um, we enjoyed doing things together. I think that was one of the, the big attractions at that time for me, was here was someone who liked to do a lot of the things that I did and well for example one of the things we did was we would read to each other Aww. which interestingly enough we've just started doing it again Ooh, yeah how
0: do you account for that like why just just recently
2: <sighs> nah, i i i don't know it was uh it was weird yeah, why strange. did why did we just why did we start doing that again Some of it
3: sprang from a therapy session I had. I was feeling lonely. Even though we're in the same house, we spend time together. I remember this practice we had, and there's something about a container that happens when you read out loud to each other. Suddenly you have focus, and you're sharing the same experience. By reading aloud to each other, that's also mm -hmm. relational. Instead of us parallel reading the same thing. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: We're each narrating and then we pause and stop. So I asked for it again yesterday. I said, this really helped me feel that we're doing something meaningful because we're so comfortable with each other. It's a little scary how much we can anticipate something. And I'll I'll turn around and I'll say, did you just read my mind? I was going to say, let's do, or I was going to pick up that thing. Mm So that comfortableness has so many benefits, but the casualty is you assume a lot of other things and some of the conversation that would have made those things happen gets skipped. So here's our chance to have a conversation, to slow down, taking ourselves away from screens and intentionally building time together, which I love. And you you guys like him. He's my, you asked, you know, circling back to your question. We did not get married as best friends. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like your dad said, we didn't know each other that long Mm -hmm. before we said, let's get married and travel. (laughs) You guys, you guys have been married. How many years now? 35 September will be
2: 36. Wow. Yeah. But the first time, mm
3: -hmm. go ahead, babe.
2: Can I interrupt you?
3: You certainly may.
2: Nice, nice. So, I, I think it's part of the arc of our relationship.
3: What is that?
2: Arc? the The reading it represents a t- kind of arc in our relationship because I think we we moved into marriage and I think it was <clears throat> we were very much enmeshed in each other's lives and. Uh, <sighs> And I'll, I mean, you know what? I'm going to come back to that later. But.
3: <laughs> Here we go.
0: Here we go. No, I just wanted to insert very, very quickly for the listener that my dad has a very unique storytelling style that is anything but linear. <laughs> and I just, I love it. And it's like, it's circular, it's spirals, it rewinds, it's it jumps yeah. forward. So I just, just want to yeah. orient. He people. might
1: backtrack and then you think you're going forward, but then he might backtrack again. Even
2: more. Yeah. Great. Well, that's so. that's very kind of you. <laughs> my students would just call me confusing. Uh, but that's that's really very kind of you to to put it that way. It sounds very. It sounds like it's very intentional.
1: <laughs> reality <laughs>
2: in re- in rea- reality it is. I follow different threads and then forget uh, some of the earlier threads. <laughs> we so we even
3: begin talking about telling uh, jokes. <laughs> it's another episode
2: okay well let's can we stay with my (laughs) first thread (laughs) and that is the arc I feel like it's a natural arc because we I think it's very exciting when you when you fall in love with someone and then you know you you know you're very excited about that person and then and I think reading together was a kind was a form of intimacy for us because we would share our thoughts about the book we we were reading. And it was just, it was a it was a way to, to even come closer and know each other better. Mm-hmm. Because we were kind of on an accelerated schedule, which that come back to that too. <laughs> and <laughs> so I think then we moved into a phase of our lives where we became like more autonomous people. And mm-hmm. it was okay to just sit and read our own stuff. And we could talk about it with each other or not. Uh, now I think it's we're kind of in a space in a place where we're uh, in our lives where we are, you know, thinking about uh, our relationships with not just ourselves but with other people and feeling like where um, who are the people that we we know close who are close friends. And I think we. Uh, sort of looked at each other the other day and said, you know, we used to read to each other and um, that was a lot of fun. And it was, it brought a kind of closeness to us. And I think let's try doing that again.
1: Well, what, when you think about those two things, like the intimacy of sharing time and like, you know, it's easy to imagine like a romantic movie where a couple spends time reading to each other. And it's like, that is really nice. So then how do you think of, the time of where you were more doing your own thing or like, whereas the inclination was more like, let's have our different space. What does it mean to you? I guess.
0: Or what was the, yeah, what was your relationship like at that time? And how was that reflected in the, you know, reading separately versus together?
1: You want
2: to take that on? Rebecca?
3: I'm thinking about that one. Yeah. I yeah. think Jay, you and I have talked about this. You we've read about Estar Perel's notion that, Everyone has two or three marriages and sometimes to the same person. That's mm. reflected in these shifts. When we did get married, we had a really, for lack of a better word, shitty year living in Khartoum, so far from family, so far from anyone familiar.
1: And Khartoum is in what country? Sudan. Sudan. Okay.
3: Ken was in, with working with an aid organization. And it was... Trial by fire in so many ways. We didn't have a lot of skills or tools anyway, and now we're removed from home. And for better or worse, that's our reality. We found out so many things so fast. I'm an engagement person, I want to talk it out. Ken is averse to conflict and so didn't have a lot of tools for how to interact with me as I'm coming at him and saying, let's talk this through. And, Mm. um, it was a terribly hard year. The lesson we learned was how to be on each other's side. Mm. That's just the short version and growing into a sense of deep trust and respect. It didn't happen that year, but it was the groundwork for that. So, The phases of our marriage after that, I think, had a place to stay anchored, to stay tethered. So, so many things have evolved about us. When Ken and I married, I was right out of college. I came from an extremely conservative Christian background. I was deeply invested in these beliefs. And... His upbringing was somewhat different. I was the more conservative person. And we have changed places and switched roles. I was raised to be super flexible. So the idea of, oh, I'm going to marry this guy and go live abroad. That's not a big surprise. That's the way I was groomed. And things have absolutely shifted and morphed over time. I am not the same woman he married. And I think the secret to success if if we have success is that we learned how to navigate these Mm -hmm. major transitions in the evolution of each other.
0: I want to ask, when you think back to the communities that you were in, and sort of the bigger culture that you were in, what were, if it wasn't I mean, and, and maybe this was a value, I don't, I don't know. But if marrying your best friend wasn't really aspired to or talked about that you can remember, what were other um, sort of boxes that like people talked about really wanting to check? Was it like, I want a travel companion. You know, I want, I don't know, a soulmate. Like were, what were the things that people were like, and get this, like he also you know, you know, is my boss, you know, no, I don't know. <laughs> That's like the eighties. I don't know, but, Ooh, uh, that, mm. no,
3: but like, you know, I don't know.
1: I married my best boss. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, the family I came from, I mean, my, my parents have passed. So it was only after they passed. I talked freely about some of these things, out of a desire to spare them pain and wounding. But the bar was pretty low for me. I went to college to get a degree, but also to meet somebody and marry them. I did not meet your father as a fellow student. He was already um, an intern. He had graduated from undergrad, you know, so it didn't work out the way the formula
1: was supposed to. Can we, can we slow you down there? You you, you remember having the experience of like, I'm going in co- to college and like one of the things I'm looking for is to meet a, uh, a husband.
3: That was the message from both of my parents. Mm-hmm. This is where you would have a target rich environment.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of prospects.
3: The, the criteria was, you know, single straight, and a member of this denomination. <laughs> so that's for the minimum requirement. Mm-hmm. So
0: Christian, right. Christian, but also hopefully Seventh-day Adventist. So pretty low bar, like alive, single, <laughs> straight, or <laughs> seemingly straight, like, right? right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Straight presenting. Mm-hmm. That's baptized. another
0: conversation.
2: <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. What about, what about for you, dad? Like, what were like the people like young people around you or you know when you were young what what were sort of
1: the yeah, ideals Yeah, you remember like someone of your friends like getting to a relationship you were like whoa like that would be great if i could mm-hmm. have
2: that I mean a lot of a lot of the friends that i had at the time were unmarried uh so when i met Rebecca i was I was living in washington d c and i was i was going out with a lot of different people i mean not not going out like with with women well you know there was a, there were a few of those, but it was like just- going out with friends and and they um uh, most of them were unmarried there were um and so i yeah i i you know i wasn't talking to a lot of people about you know about marriage i i guess what i was Experiencing with Rebecca was uh, friendship and companionship and fun. And at a certain point, I was, I, I came to this conclusion that, well, it's really more fun. I have more fun being with her than, I mean, I'm okay with myself, but I'm having a lot of fun with this other person. I've, you know, and I've. Uh, I find myself, uh, interested in her and, uh, and rem- romantically interested. I, uh, there's a, there's some chemistry there and, and so, yeah, I, I don't, and I don't remember really what, what the whole best friend mm-hmm. thing, I mean, there was that queen song, you know, of, you know. Yeah, ah, oh, she's my best friend, which you know was one of my favorite songs. But you
1: can you can sing the whole song right now if you want to sing it.
2: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Still one of my favorite Queen songs.
0: I love that song. Oh, okay. So I want to. Yeah, I mean, I want to sort of going along with um, with you know, Esther Esther Perel talks about this so much, and and the best friend criteria is under this bigger umbrella that Esther Perel has talked about with finding a partner. You're looking for somebody who's going to be your best friend and your trusted confidant and your co-parent and your soulmate and your passionate lover. Mm -hmm. And just the criteria keeps getting bigger and bigger in a way that is pretty unrealistic. Um, I want to read a quote from... Heather Havrilevsky's latest book, um, Foreverland, on the divine tedium of marriage. And then I want to ask you guys a question to follow it up. So <clears throat> here's the quote She says, I wanted a man who magically filled in all the gaps in my life. I wanted a flexible sidekick. I wanted a daddy. I wanted a best friend. I wanted a masseuse. I wanted a drinking buddy. I wanted a housekeeper. I wanted a life coach. I wanted a boss. I wanted a hand servant. I wanted way too much, and I wasn't realistic about what I'd actually get. So I'm wondering if, if you guys had expectations of marriage or of each other that you maybe even didn't know you had, um, or you did know that you had them, and you were like, oh, I shouldn't have to express this, or I don't want to express this if you can think back to that time before you got married?
3: So many unnamed expectations. The subtext for the whole, you know, minimum bar, also stability. You needed to make a partnership where you would no longer be living at home, where you wouldn't need your parents' support, right? But the... Models I had for marriage were so skewed. I didn't grow up watching a lot of television and movies. And I had the notion that my parents were happily married. I saw my brothers who were older. I saw them getting married. And I, I examined those relationships. But I really had no idea of what it involves, what the skills are, what the journey is like. Very few people talked about any of this. It was all assumed. And the the rude awakening when we got to Sudan was, we didn't have any idea how to do this thing called marriage. And the idea of being a friend, you know, I think our relationship has evolved in many ways. And Ken, you are totally my favorite person. If it's like who to hang out with, I'm going to choose you because I feel safe and I feel seen. But that developed over time. I didn't know that's something I would want. I guess I assumed it happened, Mm -hmm. that I would just be attractive somehow to somebody. We would have this magical chemistry. He would have a job. I would figure something out that worked around his job because I'm the flexible one. Right, right. Uh, And then there's travel. And I underestimated myself and I overestimated how much the relationship would just magically blossom and grow and, and work out.
1: Yeah. Without, Mm -hmm. without struggle or something like that. Right. Yeah. So have there been, Oh, Ken, I'll let you answer, but I also just want to put this idea in your guy's head of, if it comes, anything comes to mind, um, have there been times where you've found yourself, have, like relying on the other person to have a certain need met and realized it was bad for the relationship. Mm-hmm.
2: So I think that is, I think that's one of the areas in which our, that's one of the arcs of our relationship. I, I feel like, so I, uh I, it took me a, it really took me a long time to come to the point where I, could find more of, to have more of my needs met outside of the marriage. Uh, I think, you know, the first, the first phase of our marriage, we were like a, uh, a team on Survivor or something, because it felt like, it felt like for the first, you know, for the every year, like for the first 10 years, being overseas and then going to Michigan, uh, we uh, we we were in this battle to survive, you know, survive you know, financially, survive amidst you know a community of people that that were very toxic at times, and and then and then kids came along, in years, Justin comes along in year six, and. And then it becomes Rebecca and the children, and and I, and I feel like that, you know, my whole life revolved around my marriage and my and my children. Occas- there were there were some there were occasionally things that you know went off and did you know, an occasional concert with a friend or uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe do some sports together. Uh, but it was very much. Within finding, finding the majority of my needs, social needs, uh, uh, intimacy, all of that within my fam, within the immediate family, and I think and and it was that actually was that worked for me for a, for a long time. I think it's been it has been within. Uh, guess maybe just the last 10 years or so that I felt like becoming a more independent person and I I mean I I always love it Rebecca when you say that I'm your favorite person Mm -hmm. and I'm thinking you know I think you're my favorite person for some things but not for everything (laughs) Mm -hmm. I hope that's okay
3: Baby, it's fine. It's out there. Now, it's <laughs> it's out there.
2: <laughs> like, it's like you don't like going to you don't you don't like going to sh- the concerts,
3: right? Loud and crowd can't do it.
2: Yeah, and I, I really so there are other people that are, you know that are my favorite, and then you've got things you, you there are things that I don't necessarily enjoy. That you, you have friends for that, so mm-hmm. um, so I think it's it's really been the last. I don't know. Probably last ten years, that I feel like we've grown more independent of each other, mm-hmm. and but also but not necessarily apart from each other. We've grown. I think we've grown more independent, and and not necess- not not less intimate or less uh, uh, deep in our in our love and friendship, but more. I guess more independent in many ways.
1: Individuated,
2: and that um, because I mean, there's some other things that could happen along the way uh, that I think relate to that in some ways. Um, But I let me let me stop there and see see Rebecca if you have anything to to say in response to what I said. (laughs) (laughs) Nice.
3: I'd love it, Jay, if you'd reframe that question again, too,
2: for me. Oh, there was a question?
3: <laughs> I don't remember what it is,
0: no. We
1: asked, well, okay, I asked the thing about uh, relying on getting your needs met and realizing that you needed to look elsewhere or look inward. Um, yeah. I yeah.
3: corroborate so much with what Ken was saying about that survival mode, the team we had, and... Yeah the all-consuming focus of a young family, which mm-hmm. is a, a time when Ken also went on to grad school. So there were just a lot of things in motion. And the idea of friend and friendship wasn't something I attached to our relationship. Mm-hmm. But Justin knows this about me. I don't know how long I've had a really good working definition for friendship or friend and one of the things I realized that 10-year period Ken is great because that's about when I started therapy and one of the things I realized in therapy was I grew up in a family where I felt unfriendable so people could be warm and friendly and reach out to me but I didn't know how to receive it I felt like I had on my own invisibility cloak that they really didn't know who i was or what i that i was even there their kindness didn't really come out because they were responding to me they were just kind people so it could all bounce off the individuation began i think not surprisingly when i started working on things when i went to therapy and that also helped me broaden my my realization of where I could find support and be supportive, where Mm -hmm. I could find joy and where I could find connection. I didn't have to focus this pinpoint of pressure on our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I was worthy to look elsewhere. So Ken helped create the container where I'm like, oh, I can go to therapy and nobody's going to squash me. Nobody's Mm going to say, oh, you're navel gazing.
1: Totally. And sometimes when a partner goes through big changes and like wants to change patterns and stuff, it's common, I think, for the other partner to be like, whoa, 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 and and get scarce and fearful. So that is amazing.
0: I'm wondering, mom, if you because you felt you didn't really feel worthy of friendship or you felt like you weren't you weren't friendable or like incapable of of having friends or being a friend. Um, did you feel that way when you met dad?
3: Yeah, I think that was my underlying truth, Mm -hmm. even though it's not a truth. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was my underlying worldview. Mm -hmm.
0: I like that, that term that you used earlier, dad, like romantic friend. Cause I think what I, the one reason that I shy away from, from thinking of Dan as my friend or saying, I want to, you know, I married my best friend is because I don't, I think of friendship as inherently platonic, but like maybe that term or that under the understanding of that word needs to be expanded. Like you can have like romantic friends, you know, like, so I don't know. It's, I want to think about it more.
1: I think it's really interesting that you guys had this really tumultuous beginning of of moving to Africa together. I remember, Ken, you telling me at one point, like you were worried you, you'd made a mistake by getting married and going to Africa. Um, And going to
2: Africa, I was pretty sure I wanted to do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But getting married,
0: not so sure. (laughs) Like, but, can but, this lady, yeah, can this lady really hang in this lifestyle that I've chosen?
2: Yeah, that was, that was the big question because, uh, Rebecca, could I, could I just, I, I I didn't want to cut you off, Dan. Maybe I should just let you finish your, your thread. Uh,
1: thank you. Um, yeah, the, that, because that is one of the things that definitely sticks out to me from what I know of about you guys. And then the other part is that I think is pretty rare is that you guys have undergone major uh, changes in the way you view yourselves, your faith, um, have like rewritten your ideas about what it is to live well. And I, I, I know it's it's been a positive for your relationship with Justin because it's made you really able to like do work on your relationship with her. Um, And that is something in amongst my peers that I haven't seen very much of having parents who like have gone on their own journey of really growing and changing so that like the relationships with the children as, I mean, that's sort of like one of the, one of the positives about it can also evolve as they become adults and like come into their own.
3: Thanks for reflecting that, Dan. That's a treasure. Appreciate you putting words around it. Thank you. What were you going to say, Dad?
2: So at, I'm going to start at this point where Rebecca is starting therapy about 10 years ago, because in that time period, something else has happened, which I think has really has been an important shift for me. And you know, as I'm trying to think back to bef- be- before that time, I feel like I was in this almost kind of, I don't want to say policing. That's that's probably, that's, that is kind of a relationship policing. Managing. <laughs> and that, Managing. Or you know, we managed, you know, relationship management. And part of it, I think, was a pattern that I learned as a father of, of two children and the pattern of you have this responsibility to shape their to, to, to shape their life in a positive way, Justin and Graham will both recall what, you know ways in which i I implemented that
0: Graham's uh, my brother
2: and okay, but I feel yeah. like I feel like I had this kind of same approach to Rebecca I didn't always act on it i I guess when when I see you, Rebecca when I see you now just as, as when you're when you really took off in your in your art um, in your career as an artist, your whole posture I think changed, mm-hmm. and the way in which you would organize your life around that and it that was that was so different than the uh you know sort of the team Ken and Rebecca surviving in in a harsh world uh, because in I remember at some point, and I don't know, I don't know how this, how this happened. Uh, but I think at about the same time that I stopped trying to, uh, I stopped feeling responsible for Justin and Graham and, and their lives because they were, they're adults. I kind of looked at you, Rebecca, and said, why, why do I feel like I need to somehow scrutinize what you're doing? And asked the question, you know, is it? she's sitting there for hours and hours and hours just painting or just doing something. And, and I'm, I'm worried about how, you know, you know, the, the dishes need to be done or the trash needs to go out. It's like, why isn't she? And then, and then, but then I, I, I don't know how I came to this, but I thought, why should I worry? Why isn't she trustworthy? Isn't she trustworthy that, you know, she's living the life she needs to live and finding the friends she needs to find and reading and therapy and all that. She needs to all, do all that. Why should I second guess that? And when I started doing that, there was such a relief. Uh, I was liberated and I, I was, I was just liberated from having to <laughs> have any sort of wonder, well, you know, should I say something? Uh, you know, you've been working on art for six hours and not paying any attention to me, so. <laughs>
0: you know, there it is. is. There,
2: what Do I need to hold you accountable for something? <laughs> uh, but, you know, when I, <laughs> when I stopped, when I stopped, um, when I, I think I really just started trusting you more. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's really strange because we'd, we'd been married by that, you know, over 20 years by that mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trusting you. It just seems really strange.
1: But what was that an act of going inward and just like self-regulating or was you was, it was just a reframing or like, what, what exactly was that that allowed you to feel liberated?
2: I think I, that's a very good question, Dan. And I, and I, I, I don't know if I can explain the whole genealogy of it. Um, (laughs) very well. And I don't, I don't fully understand it myself. All I know is that it led to, it led to you know, a, a real sense of relief uh, yeah. that that expectation is no longer on my shoulders that I have to do that. I don't need to do that because she's trustworthy. And yeah. did,
0: did you sense that shift, mom? And what was that like for you? I think
3: at a certain level, I did. There was a spaciousness that Crept up on us. So many things happen, and you look back and you wonder, what was going on? And what was the time? For me, the story that I tell myself is I grew up with so much conditioning and actual physical preparation to be criticized. That about the same time your dad does this wonderful release. I have this realization, oh, my God, he is never going to be like my dad. He is never going to criticize, say, cutting things. Mm. He is never going to emotionally, purposefully wound me. And I had been single for about 25 years, you know, in my family of origin. And it was our 25th wedding anniversary when that, that realization happened. I was sitting in the car and I was actually braced for the thing it would never come out of Ken's mouth. Mm-hmm. It didn't come out of his mouth. And I realized, Oh, he is not my dad. He's nothing like my dad. And maybe that coincided with him letting go and having that quiet little internal, you know, father, what father will fix this or father. shouldn't. <laughs> maybe again, he right. never imitated my dad. And knowing when he finally said, I I trust you. And I thought, well, good, because I'm honest. This is a different kind of trust, as he just described. Mm. Trusting that I know how to run my life and trusting that if he's waiting in the car and I'm still getting something, it's not because I'm a slacker. It's not because I'm thoughtless. I'm actually doing this thing and I will join him Mm. or working in the studio. Mm. It's uh, it's freeing for both of us.
1: I have one more thing okay. which is I <laughs> I was Pointing those two things out about your tumultuous um, beginnings and then undergoing those things. But I forgot that there was a a greater point or a greater question there, which was, do you think something about that, about having this really testing phase set you up for a, a, a life where you were going to be investigating and working on the relationship in this way and working on yourselves?
2: Yes. I mean, I think we spent the next ten years trying to figure out what had happened in the first ten years, <laughs> right. and yeah. and, it, and, it, and that was actually painful for me mm-hmm. because whenever we would tell stories about you know, the difficult times, and and it wasn't wasn't necessarily that we were having difficult times; we were part of a web of relationships, and we were part of this web in which some of the, some of the relationships we had with people and some of the people we worked with were just very, very difficult, very emotionally, um, uh, challenging.
1: Are you speaking about in Africa, um, like the people you were working with and living around?
2: Yes. Uh, mostly the, uh, the, you know, the people that I worked under, uh, who are, from the united states mm-hmm. um,
0: and who were part of the church yes part organization of the
2: church organization but also and but also in michigan i think the first you know the good part of the, the years we lived in michigan while we were also still trying to get on our feet financially and i was in grad school and, um that those were t- those were that was a really a continuation in some mm-hmm. ways of the the first six years Right, uh, and yeah, I think you know that put a lot of stress on our relationship, and and it was um, there was a kind of a vigilance, Rebecca. I think the word that you just texted over to me was <laughs> is the appropriate word. There's a kind of relational vigilance that we felt we had to maintain, and
0: with each other, like. Vigilant about the status and condition of your relationship?
2: I, th- I think it was more behavioral.
3: Wait, say more about that. I don't know where you're going with that, Lovie.
2: So, I mean, I think we were, uh, well, let me speak for myself because I can't speak for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, we were part of a, we were also part of this religious community that practiced, um, that they really emphasized accountability. In, in our that the people that you were in relationship with, you had to. Well, one of your duties towards those people was to be to hold them accountable
3: and to be held accountable
2: by them and to be held accountable. Mm-hmm. by I mean, the principle, I, I, I see the principle. I don't think, I mean, the, the, there's a, in some, at some level, um, at, at some level, I think that is we, we do need to hold each other accountable, but it was like this constant vigilance of that that i let go of she is trustworthy why do i need to have this kind of worry about whether she's going off the rails (laughs) so you know because she's she's spending all and that
0: somehow it's it's my job to get her back on track yeah
2: yeah and it's and why and 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 why is it my job to sort of be this her her accountability accountability partner
3: go mom Yeah, I want to circle back to Dan's idea that those beginning years maybe set a foundation, framing it that way in retrospect. Something was planted good there. Something happened, and as I said at the top, set a foundation that grew all the other things. So knowing that we were on each other's side, and knowing that even though we didn't know how to fight well, we would not fight deadly. Has never screamed at me. We've never called each other names. I feel thankful for that. For some people, they can weather those things, but words have so much power for me. And something in that really rough and rocky start planted the seeds of of moving into the unknown with a, a degree of mutual trust that okay, we don't know what this is going to be like. We don't know what's next. We don't know, like, what is therapy? We don't know many people going. Or how do we learn to not be enmeshed? How do we break family cycles? Yeah. Something happened at the beginning that gave us enough of a safe container to entertain those questions, even if we weren't even always able to articulate them as clearly as I can mm-hmm. now. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of that. So I appreciate you looking at that and helping us, take a telescope looking back Dan, and saying, yeah, something important.
1: Well, it's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. Um, and it just, cause it makes me think of going back to like this thing we were talking about with someone being like, how great is my life? Like I'm marrying my best friend, like, and the way marriage is presented to a lot of us, um, as like, okay, like it's the end of the movie. Like everything is worked out. like, it's a triumph getting married, you know, and then people get married and they're like, oh, shit, like there's just all this other stuff now. <laughs> um, whereas you guys had like, oh, like you were in the wilderness in that moment.
0: And you guys... I don't know if this is what you're saying so correct me but you aren't the first couple that I've heard talk about the experience of going through something really hard together like going through like survival mode and having to like really be in the trenches together and how I mean that's a concept like that's applied on purpose right like with like training boot camp or whatever like or like you know frats doing initiation uh procedures or whatever where it's like you go through something really hard and like it, bond, it kind of like binds you or like bonds you together in this way did you do you feel like you experienced that piece of it
2: well can i respond mm-hmm. first
0: as a sociologist <laughs> what the, what's what's that I called
2: i always hate that because <laughs> then people then i feel like i like to say something profound.
0: oh <laughs> you know that you don't dad you know
2: you. <laughs> well i so <laughs> I think what, and Rebecca, I think you're absolutely right. It, despite all the pain and and uh, uh, emotional sort of turmoil that we experienced, I think the the foundation was that you set was, and I and I credit you because I came out of a, I came out of a, out of a family in which to express emotion to expre- express. Strong emotion would would spiral out of control, and so I was a conflict avoider, and um, you know I went through five years of therapy to truly understand why why that was happening. But one of the things that you established, Rebecca, was that you you would not avoid hard emotional issues, and as much as I wanted to avoid them and would tried to run away from them you would not let me you would not <laughs> let me out the door <laughs> no you would not you force me well you you go ahead say it go ahead me <laughs> to, to <laughs> confront you invited me to confront the the emotional 900 pound gorillas right there in the room um you know here's how i'm feeling about this and uh, I think it was one of the things was that was difficult for me was that when, when you had a deep emotional reaction and that you would, you know, you were very, your emotions were really out there. It's like you'd be crying and, um, you, you know, you were very forceful in your emotional response sometimes. And that that made me want to run away even more. That was something that could you know, in my back family background, that could go that could get out of out of control, and mm-hmm. and I could feel unsafe in those situations. So, but that well, I guess okay. What I'm trying to say here is that <laughs> that that was really actually very that was healthy, even though it was uncomfortable. It was healthy, and it helped us establish that as one of our one of the ways in which we resolve conflict is we would not run away from it. Mm-hmm. As much as I wanted to.
3: Well, and kudos to you for being (laughs) (laughs) one of the best things that, that I've seen happen in between us, Ken, is I still have a lot of emotional expression. And the evolution over time of you understanding that the thing I needed most was for you to stand beside me and say, I see you rather than rush in and I don't know what to do, or how do I fix this or running away. Being a faithful witness has been one of the most powerful parts of this partnership. And I am so glad we found our way there.
0: And that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Our music is by Nightlight. We self produce this podcast, so please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps.